There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Living Room Logic. Welcome back to Season 2 of Living Room Logic. This episode, Andrew and I cover a heavy but important topic. Today, we talk about cancer, why cancers are more varied than you'd think, and how we might live with cancer in the future with the help of science. Cure your boredom by following or subscribing to us wherever you get your podcasts, and check us out on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Living Room Logic to join our logical following. This season is supported by FameLab Ireland. Everyone, welcome back to another episode of Living Room Logic, Season 2, baby. <laughs> As you can tell, we're really giddy because we're going to talk about quite a sad topic today. Mm, so yeah. I don't know why we're giddy for it. But no, it's actually a really serious topic that we, we wanted to do for a good while. And we're going to give it our best shot. Um, we're going to talk about cancer today. And, uh, you know, it affects a lot of people and we'll talk about how it does but Andrew my first question to you is what actually is cancer? Cancer in its most simple terms is the growth of cells but in its disease form it is the uncontrolled growth of cells where cells mm-hmm. will keep dividing and keep growing and keep dividing so much so that it interrupts bodily processes it takes up resources from your body Mm-hmm. Etc. Etc. And it's super common. It's a worldwide, human species-wide phenomenon. Uh, in any given given lifetime, you have a forty percent chance of developing a cancer. Yeah. And as a hu- member of the human race, you have a twenty percent chance of dying of cancer. It's crazy. Yeah. And it, like this was in twenty twenty now from uh, the World Health Organization. So this is something that is all over us as a species it's all over us it's all over lots of different species as well but it's something that i think has touched everybody in one manner or another it's been in one side of your family maybe you've had friends with who have it it's very common and like i was saying it goes back a long long way this isn't something that's new people like to say it's more common now but we have absolutely no idea of knowing if it's more common now because the first uh, identifications of cancer was goes back as far as Egypt, and they found descriptions of cancer, and actually they found cancers in the mummies. Oh my god. And one of the oldest pieces of medical literature is something called the Edwin Smith papyrus, right? Which is just, mm-hmm. it's, it, it describes eight cases of breast tumours. In ancient Egypt, right? This Mm -hmm. ancient doctor who wrote this up as an example, as a case study. And these were all treated using a fire drill, which is enough said. (laughs) 
you can kind of imagine that this was now you're talking a couple two three thousand years ago four thousand years ago even where we actually get the word cancer is actually from the greeks and cancer is latin for crab but the original name for it was krakenos okay. which was the greek which was the greek for crab right and this was because hippocrates who's the father of modern medicine he looked at a tumor and he said it looked like a crab where it had a round body with finger like projections into the person's body oh, okay. so it, it had a little round body with little legs coming out of it so they were like hey it looks like a crab i don't know what it is so we'll just call it what it looks yeah, like that's really cool right yeah and like it is uh, all of this kind of goes back to these times like then we had um in roman times is actually they continued studying this and it's actually where we get the study oncology which is the study yeah. of cancers and onkos means the study of swelling in greek so it's swelling in Greek oncology the study of mm -hmm. that. And then during the Renaissance everything went wild in all manners of medicine, art, technology, everything mm -hmm. like that. So this was the first time that we had the concept of even having an autopsy. So this was the first time that we were actually looking at why people died. And this was when people started to go, huh, what the hell is showing up? in one in five of these people going yeah. on. And th yeah, this was a f and this was an Italian anatomist, right, called uh, Giovanni Morgani of Padua or something like that. And, <laughs> and, uh, he, and this was like the moment that people really began to start noticing it. Then a Scotsman, actually, uh, John Hunter, was the first that said, right, what if we could find these cancers before it kills them and take it mm -hmm. out. And he said that in the 1700s, right? So this was like, he was thinking like he was he was a good bit ahead mm -hmm. of the time. And uh, particularly in breast cancer, because breast cancer was the main cancer in focus for a long, long time, primarily because you could actually feel it. You could test it. You could look at yeah. it. And it was something that was, you could be aware of it. And a century after John Hunter said this, uh, was the birth of anesthesia. And this was when they started actually saying, oh, you may have a cancer. They didn't know it was a cancer, but they said this lump might be why you feel sick and it could kill you. Let's take it out. Yeah. Right. So that's crazy. That's a lot of stuff going mm -hmm. on. And the speed that this progresses, right, because then in the eight, in the 1800s, late 1800s, there was this lad called Rudolf Verkow. And this was the first guy who looked at medicine and was like, and looked at disease and was like, right, this starts at the cellular level. He was, he's the founder of cellular pathology, which is basically saying when illness comes from cells and then expresses itself as mm -hmm. symptoms, right? And he was the first person who said, right, when you're removing these tumors, give them to me so I can study the cells. Mm -hmm. And I can actually test the cells and I can actually see, right, did you just remove a benign tumour or did you remove a much worse tumour, perhaps a tumour that if you gave it resources would continue to grow outside of the body and then that would inform the treatment of these women. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's nuts, right? And honestly, for a long, long time, this was like the height of it. And you're talking, people really didn't have the best idea. Like, it was all around breast cancer because they didn't have any way of looking at other cancers. Okay. And then cervical cancer kind of came into the mix in the early 1900s where the pap test 
was uh, first developed. Mm. And honestly, you're, you're talking about this was developed in 1923 and it didn't become commonplace until the 60s. That's madness. I know, it's crazy. So recent. It was nuts. Nuts. And all of these different things happened very recently. So there, there's this huge war of, against cancer that is such a recent development. Like you're talking about um, the, these surgeries coming in only more recently for extra cancers. You're talking even the mammography to, to visualize breast cancers only came in in 1976. Wow. And there's loads of stuff. And like surgery is such a like raw way of dealing with a cancer that really doesn't get to the cause of it, right? Yeah, it's a yeah. treatment, right? Other kinds of treatments is like radiation therapy, right? Something I think is quite cool about radiation therapy is that when x-rays were discovered three months later, they were being used to diagnose people for cancer three months later and three years later they were used to treat cancer so this was all an insanely fast movement man insanely fast but the, the reality of how radiation therapy works is like especially back then it goes back to our fire drill that the egyptians used except it doesn't go through the skin it just focuses inside of the body and it's mm -hmm. essentially the same thing. It just mm -hmm. it costerizes it. And like, but it's just crazy, all of these different developments, right? Another cool one is, again, back to breast cancer, is in the 1800s, this lad called Thomas Beaton, right? What he did was he took ovaries out of rabbits, right? Okay. And, he, and he was like, huh, they don't make milk anymore when I take their ovaries out. Maybe this can cure cancer. That was literally the stepping stone. He was like, huh. <laughs> that, was his, that was his logic before he... And then he went, hmm, these women have breast cancer. You know what I'm going to do? Take out their ovaries. Literally that step. And you know what? It worked. And this was the first, like, identification. Yeah, literally, because breast cancer, most of the time, comes from estrogen, which comes from your ovaries goes to your mm. breast and stimulates cell growth, right? That, that's the way it works. So naturally, if it's getting a lot of estrogen, it might become cancerous. If it's continually being told to grow, you take out the ovary, it helps fix the cancer, right? Okay. And again, this isn't the 1800s. These are like the crazy steps going on. And then like the, the last therapy, which is again, like the uh, uh, one of the more common therapies is chemotherapy, mm. right? And chemotherapy is actually the, the story behind how we got chemotherapy is that in World War II, soldiers were exposed to so much mustard gas that when they came home, a lot of them weren't developing blood cells and their bone marrow had died. Jesus. And again, a leap of logic. Then doctors went, huh, this could cure cancer. And they literally turned this mustard gas into something controlled. And we're saying, right, we took out the agent. Mustard gas. Mustard oh gas, God. literally, yeah. And then they adjusted it and said, right, we found that this mustard gas kills every single cell in the body that is trying to divide. If your cell is trying to divide, this main element of mustard gas will come in and attack it. So therefore, cancer cells, that's all they do. All they want to do is divide. This is the origin of chemotherapy. They will put it in. So, that is so interesting. So what you can kind of see from those is that there's actually not as much 
development throughout history of our understanding of cancer. And there's not a lot. Mm. There's no there's I, I didn't mention any cure. I just mentioned treatments and treatment. the tr- and the treatments are Aiden, they're very raw or very brutal or very and non-specific. intrusive, yeah. And I, I think... Not specific yeah. is a great word for it, yeah. And I think the main question that comes in after it is, we have all these treatments, but yet we still say, where is the cure for cancer? So yeah. why don't we have a cure for cancer? <laughs> did I, did I lay you up okay there? <laughs> Easy, easy question, Andrew. Yeah. Easy question, not Great. an easy answer. Because like, as you said, like our current understanding of cancer needs work, but we've gotten very far and the treatments are also getting better and better over time, but they are really falling behind as well. And so the lifespan of people suffering with cancer has doubled on average uh, over the past 50 years, which is amazing. But we are unfortunately mm. nowhere near a universal cure for cancer to be honest the truth is that cancer isn't really a single disease at all Mm -hmm. and to be honest each cancer is extremely unique so let me explain that Mm. so if you if you think about what cancer is and andrew you already explained this really well but basically uncontrolled cell growth and division starting from a single rogue cell somewhere in your body right But we actually now know that there are about 200 different types of cells in the body. So that would make you assume that there can be at least 200 different types of cancer, right? Based on that knowledge. But actually, and Andrew, you'll probably talk about this Mm -hmm. a bit more. But in the early 2000s, a genetic breakthrough called genome sequencing allowed us to read the entire genetic code book or called it's also called the genome of humans that every single cell in our body has an identical copy of and each of our cells uses specific parts of this unique book right depending on where they are in the body and what their function is and sometimes the genetic code in some of the cells can become damaged either because of the nature of cell division or because of carcinogens, which I will talk about a little bit later, um, and then you get a cancer cell. But let's go back to the genome sequencing, because over the past 20 years, scientists went out and sequenced a load of people, both with and without cancer, and all different types of cancers, and they actually uh, they actually sequenced the genomes of different cells in the same cancers, right? To try and see if there was diversity in their genetics okay what they found out was pretty crazy and it was actually pretty Mm -hmm. unfortunate for us because Mm -hmm. they found out that each individual cancer is slightly different genetically turns out that even cells within the tumor can vary um, in their genome this means that each cancer may have a different response to the same cancer treatment which makes the effectiveness of these extremely variable And it's a problem. Okay, so this is why scientists haven't found a universal cure for cancer yet. But knowing this is, is, it's kind of crucial to creating specific treatments for different cancers. This, this knowledge of genetics. Mm. Um, So Andrew is going to tell us a little bit about how researchers are tackling the uniqueness of cancers using genetics. It's actually amazing, the the complexity of it all. And I, I think to to really get at how this is happening, right? And to get at how 
we can target individual cancers is to actually figure out, (laughs) it sounds like a stupid thing, but why do we not constantly have cancer? Like this, this isn't the thing that, um, oh, no, you because you have billions of cells in your body. The likelihood of Mm -hmm. one of them dividing and having a mutation that could be cancerous is extremely high. You're talking about billions of cells, okay? The reality is that our immune system is actually Mm -hmm. constantly going around looking for cells that aren't behaving to actually suppress them. And to kill them and be like no and yeah. be like, no, no, that's very bold. Don't yeah. we don't do that we don't here. Go that's off not on rogue good. evolutionary journeys yeah. <laughs> of mutation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, no. We're strictly human here. We're not doing anything. Back in fancy. line, normal cell. But but what's crazy, right? And and, and something that uh, makes the worst cancers particularly effective is that when these cells are uncontrollably dividing, okay, they're expressing all of their genome or weird yeah. parts of their genome. And it's they're, they're no longer one cell. They, you can't recognize them and say, uh, this is a cell X, okay? They can develop all sorts of things, like for some uh, warning for some horrible imagery, but some tumors have been known to develop teeth. Oh, my God. Yeah, so they will develop different things inside of it because they just uncontrollably open up genetic pathways, right? But what this can do, sickeningly, is this also means that these cancers can sometimes emit anti-inflammatory factors, which say to your immune system, it's fine, I'm good, I'm, don't worry about Mm -hmm. me, I'm doing a perfectly fine thing. But, and it's doing this by pure fluke. This is just a, a a mutation. It's an accident, right? So <laughs> this is how, like, normally your immune system would spot it. But for a lot of cancers, they develop these things and that stops the immune system from putting a close on it, right? So what's the idea of how we approach all of this gi- genetic diversity and all of these different things that could be causing these cancers, right? Mm. So what we can do is we can actually take the immune cells out of someone's body with cancer, take out some of their cancer, look at their cancer, and then inform the immune cells and put it back in the body, which is crazy, okay? And this is like a incredibly expensive, incredibly complex thing where basically you're figuring out something about these cells, which is nowhere else in the body, that you can implant into this immune cell and say, you're looking for this, and when you find it, kill it, right? And this is what, it's called CAR-T therapy, Mm -hmm. CAR-T cell therapy. And this has been shown to really have a lot of work going for it, and a lot of work going for it really, really well. Mm -hmm. The only, and it works really effectively. The problem is, it's really difficult to do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it is really labor intensive. You need a lot of experts involved in this. Like you're talking about teams in the 20s and 30s wow. of people for one case because you have to go through this immune system and figure out how to design, similar to a vaccine, how to design something on the T cells that you take out of these immune cells. For that specific for that, cancer. For that specific cancer. And the problem with this is this is not reproducible. This is person to person. So that's that's what makes it really complicated. Now, there are some cancers which are common, 
Okay, so you can have cancers that have common causes. And thankfully, like Aidan said, the uh, life expectancy of people who've developed cancer has improved. And some of that is because we have figured out how to counter these more common cancers. Yeah. But the reality, like we've been saying, is that it ain't that easy. It really isn't. Mm -mm. Another thing that's coming in, and maybe it's uh, maybe people will have a good idea of this, is the mRNA vaccines, right? And again, it's a similar idea, but what this does is it saves a step where they don't have to take out your T cells and put them in. What they'll do is they will biopsy the cancer, do the same process of identifying something about this cancer and then put develop a quick vaccine and put it Mm -hmm. into you. Now, Mm. this is a swell idea, you know. Vaccine, personal Sounds vaccine. Sounds great. But but how do you do a clinical trial for this? For this one person's For cancer? this one person. This one yeah. individual vaccine that has been personally designed for you. So that's what's slowing down the process of this because what needs to be done is to foolproof this process of developing individualized vaccines. Mm-hmm. Because normally to get a vaccine on the market, you have to test it, as we've seen, in tens of thousands of people so people can take it. But if you're talking about a vaccine for one person's use. That's incredibly difficult. It's, it's an incredibly complex thing. The last thing I want to talk about, right, is this thing that was that came out literally last year. So we're talking 2020. This came out. And really cool. these were these super, super mutant human killer T cells. Remember, I was just talking about the T cells. These crazy things, right? Mm-hmm. What these scientists were doing. <laughs> it's kind of crazy. They just—they were just trying to kill these bacteria, right? And what they did was they put these bacteria that are present in human cells and probably the most strong cell line you can make in the lab is a cancer cell. But It's a cancer cell line because it refuses to die. That's the whole problem. So they put these bacteria in the cancer cells and they wanted to see mm-hmm. which version of these T cells, that these immune cells that they were making would kill the cancer or kill the bacteria that was going around but leave the cancer cells alone and they were doing loads of tests and then they realized huh this one immune cell that we have made is killing everything <sighs> just everything like the, the, the whole plate the bacteria the cancer uh, cell line everything right and they were like huh yeah that's wrong surely that's wrong and but what they did was they were like right we have all of this money to study this bacteria whoop out the window we're not interested in that anymore we now have this really weird immune cell and they tested it on breast cancer cell lines they tested it on colon cancer cell lines blood cancer cell lines brain cancer cell lines all of these different things right and the immune cells killed all of them all of them and left healthy cells alone whoa yeah so maybe to go back on your we're not close to a all one big cure for cancer true but this is a huge step because uh, it, it seems to target loads of different kinds of cancers with loads of different kinds of cures. And from different people. And from different people. They studied it in loads of different people and cured their cancers. Wow. Right. Okay, right? Let, let's, uh, let's keep looking. <laughs> let's keep an eye on that one. Yeah. So, but, so let me t- so they, they did a little bit of research on 
how it does this. <laughs> oh, thank were, God. Because they literally just had this immune cell and they were like, it's doing cool things, right? So, <laughs> Putting it in an arena with a bunch of cancer cells and just like, oh, off you go. Literally like gladiator. And, but, and then leaving the fans alone, of course, leaving the audience out of it, leaving okay. healthy cells alone. Mm-hmm. So what, what this immune cell is apparently doing, right, is that it has a receptor on its surface called MR1. What, think of this as like the bouncer protein, the bouncer ID checking protein, right? Yeah. That you go, like, you know, you go in up to a club or something and they ask for your ID. So basically you go to it and it pull, you have to pull out your ID and you have to prove that you are you. And effectively, this is how all immune cells don't kill you. You know, they every time they touch a cell, they're like, all right, show me your ID. And the ID in this scenario is basically it forces the cell to spit out something and be like, here are some of my <laughs> things that I have inside of me. Yeah. And, and the immune cell goes, hmm, that makes sense, and then moves on, right? <laughs> so effectively, that's the idea. And it does this to all cells. This is, this is commonplace in the immune system. And this is how they also spot a disease-causing thing, where they'll do this to a disease-causing thing, and it'll be like, oh, I shouldn't do this, and it forces it open, it spits out some things that really shouldn't be in the human body, and it goes, alright, bud, you're, you're done. <laughs> you're out. You're we're, done. We're, we're throwing you out. You're, you're not allowed in here anymore. <laughs> and what they found was this particular immune cell had a lot of this receptor protein on its outside, and it was using this protein to interact with the cancer cells, the cancer cells would spit out a load of its innards and the Mm -hmm. immune cell would figure out that this is not a healthy cell and we need to destroy it. Mm -hmm. Whilst when it went to a healthy cell and it spat out its innards, it was like, yeah, this is fine. This is normal. You're allowed in. But But there's still a big scientific question left here where what is it that they're... that the T cell is spotting that makes it know the difference between a cancerous cell and a non-cancerous cell. And that is still a question on the horizon. Because they've they figured out that, right, the cell, the cancerous cell is spitting something out that makes it easily identifiable as a cancer cell to these immune cells. Mm-hmm. But we have no idea what it is. So what if we could, like, figure out what it was spotting and then make something specific for that. Wow. Yeah, so it is it's a that's really promising. It is. It's a really really thing. It's the the it's really really exciting. It's coming from the UK and it's a really really cool and promising thing coming out. And yeah, if I think that's in my opinion that's the most exciting all-round cure uh out there even though it won't cure everything, but it'll be a huge leap, we'll say towards that yeah and and that's and that's really all we need is is a leap after leap Mm -hmm, after leap exactly scrounge break are you over 18 and looking for someone to procreate with well go type p in your search bar and do your thing there and then come back to us for a good storyline go to patreon.com slash living room logic to support us and get merch and other exclusive bits actually another leap that I want to talk about is, and it's kind of looking at the whole thing from a different perspective, mm-hmm. um, looking at cancer from more of like 
maybe evolutionary or ecological perspective okay and me being an ecologist of course i'm gonna do that but i thought it was quite cool (laughs) that it wasn't just me (laughs) who would want to do something like that actually other people did as well um but but just talking about the future of cancer in general um you know the the real future of cancer is that we're we're gonna have to learn how to live with it for for now anyway because because it's it's unfortunately a consequence or a side effect of multicellular life and you know let me explain this because it does sound a bit mad but but think about it this way okay so as andrew said cancer isn't a new thing in humans but cancer actually is around in lots of other organisms as well okay uh, potentially for like billions of years and yeah so so we think that every single multicellular organism has the potential to develop a cancer and scientists have even found dinosaur bones that are like 75 million years old that have malignant tumors in them which is just amazing and so researchers today as i said are, are, are thinking about cancer in this more ecological or evolutionary light where instead of curing a cancer they want to control a cancer's evolution Mm. by slowly whittling away its genetic diversity and then ultimately driving the cancer to what they want to call a a local extinction event okay so we're trying to think about all of this from an evolutionary point of view okay Mm -hmm. let me give you an example of this from the animal kingdom okay just so it yeah, might please. make a little bit more sense. So you might know this, but for hundreds of thousands of years in Australia, there was this weird marsupial predator that resembled a wild dog. And it was known as the thylacine wolf. Did you know this, Andrew? I absolutely did not. Please inform me. <laughs> yeah, so it's really cool. Like this, this marsupial wolf was doing great in Australia for hundreds of thousands of years. Um, right up until the British Empire colonised the continent in the early 1800s. Well done, lads. Oh. <laughs> um, the British colonisers basically slowly pushed the distribution of the species further inland. Um, they killed most of them because they're a predator and they would kill livestock and stuff. On top of this, though, the introduction of these agricultural animals brought pests, new pests, into the country. And these brought new diseases that also infected the marsupial wolves, okay? And on top of that, the introduction of dingoes and domesticated dogs also put pressure on the marsupial wolves in the form of competition for food and territory. So all these stressors working at different times over a long period, and for the case of the, the thylacine wolf, it was over a century it drove them to extinction in 1936. So there's actually photographs of this dog. If you look it up on Google, it looks crazy. They called it the the, the thylacine tiger or something like that, the Aussie tiger. It has stripes on its back and it evolved completely differently from, from, from canine dogs. Mm. But because that niche needs close to the ground, four legs and big teeth, uh, it also evolved that but it's wow. it's very cool and, and it's and so the moral of this story though is that and because <laughs> i know i kind of went off on my my fun ecology evolution look you're happy this is we're what all I love. happy when you're happy <laughs> yeah but but how this is relevant is that an extinction event takes time 
okay a lot of time and there has to be several things slowly pushing a population or a species into an evolutionary corner okay Mm. where genetic diversity is really low yes yes and as the genetic diversity is ultimately the fuel of evolution when a few final blows are thrown at uh, this cornered population that has the low genetic diversity this is when the rate of mutation is too low to evolve the traits to survive and finally extinction happens okay Mm. so this whole concept is actually being used by a cancer research team led by a dude called dr robert gattenby okay in florida in a a place called the the moffitt cancer center okay so what his team are doing is they're basically using complicated mathematics to model the evolutionary directions that cancers might make Mm -hmm. under different treatment regimes okay But using this more kind of ecological or evolutionary strategy, his team are trying to generate low genetic diversity in patients' cancers with the hope of eventually bringing the cancers to what we called the local extinction events within each patient. Okay, so the types of treatments involve similar drugs to modern cancer treatments, but they're um, using the evolution based models to decide treatment doses. So using less potency and more of a variety of treatments over longer periods of time. Interesting. To not just, yeah, so they don't want to just blast the cancer in strong but short-lived bursts as kind of is typically the case in modern medicine in most cancer treatments. But to, to slowly direct the cancer towards a path of lower malignancy and ultimately prolong the lifespan and quality of life of the person with cancer okay that's interesting and so the yeah it is really cool and the results are actually really promising because this guy's research team in florida have several um long-term clinical trials ongoing and cancer patients who had a life expectancy of about i think it was like um 18 months is what they were given with their malignant cancers they are now surviving for five years no or more way. on this new treatment yeah wow. so this seems to be working wow um and and it is picking up a lot of steam like they're doing very well in their research um so this is one of the future ways we may be able to deal with cancer not by curing it from the world but by like controlling it to a point where people can live with their cancers for years mm. maybe even like decades and the way they explain it is that they want people and this sounds a bit weird but they want people to die from something else other than their cancer yeah they want it to be in 20 25 years time someone who was 70 was killed by by a a really bad flu in a bad winter Mm. or something like that something that a normal 95 year old person of course uh passes away from okay and and this is the reality because um another really good analogy they have is with um hiv and that people nowadays, the treatment for HIV and full-blown AIDS is so good yeah. that people are not dying from their AIDS disease. They're dying from other things at old age and they're having a wonderful quality of life or at least a much better quality of life than they would have ever thought maybe 20, 30 years ago. So this is really the kind of future of cancer treatment. So aside from altering the way we approach cancer treatment, um, other ways we're going to live with cancer in the future is by increasing the effort we put into preventing exposure to cancer risk factors, okay? Mm-hmm. And by upping the ante in screening for certain cancers. 
because you know it, it it turns out that we know the source or origin of about 50 percent of all cancers that a person may get about 10 percent of all of these cancers can be traced back to a genetic predisposition for a certain type or group of cancer types and an example i saw was um it's known as the BRCA gene and you can actually look in someone's genome for this this section of their genome called the BRCA gene and that's actually an indicator that they have a much higher chance of uh, developing breast cancer in their lifetimes okay mm -hmm. Uh, but unfortunately we don't know like we don't really know how to prevent people that are genetically predisposed to certain cancers from getting them yeah. but people with these genes can be monitored closely basically to make sure if a cancer arises in their lifetime so it can be caught and treated early you know and this will increase that person's uh, survival rate massively you know yeah man and so the other 40% of cancers that are that that we know the causes to are, are caused by external stressors. Um, and so we actually can avoid these, this other 40% of cancers. Um, we can we can try and avoid these risk factors. And so the kind of first group is actually um, a couple pathogens that can lead to mm -hmm. or make someone more susceptible to certain cancers. So one is the human papillomavirus or HPV. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so that can actually cause um, cervical cancer in women. So there's an amazing screening uh, system going on in Ireland right now uh, for HPV. And people are getting HPV vaccines at a very young age. Um, and that is really improving the amount of people who are uh, developing it's really reducing the amount of people who are developing HPV and then the other major one is actually hepatitis B as well um, so I, I actually don't know which cancers hepatitis B can make people more susceptible, more susceptible to getting that is another one that the WHO have basically said this is something you can get a vaccine for and then you're sound like you're not on that risk group anymore you know and then the other things that cause cancer are are what we mentioned earlier on carcinogens and there's a couple different behavioral risks as well so you know everyone probably knows this already but tobacco causes about 20 percent of all cancers yeah mm. and so the more people get this information put in front of them the more people will stop um, consuming tobacco and it's just it's not even to stop it if you love it you love it but just know just know that yeah. this this uh, is 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 the highest risk factor for developing cancer other than those pathogens which is mental for this uh, this these 40% of all cancers yep. so other things that you might know or you might not is actually like processed meats are, are actually a, a large risk factor for cancers another thing is alcohol um, which people probably know a bit better. The sun, <laughs> UV radiation. <laughs> people know this. Like people know that if you get yeah. if you get sunburned too many times or whatever, that this will give you cancer. You know. So again, this is really good that that most people know that. Um, and, and things like ionizing radiation, like getting an X-ray, or or it's mostly for people who are in jobs that are to do with um using these types of uh, scans and stuff that they have to go behind really big lead screens and stuff you know people who work in those x-ray machines and mm -hmm. um, they, they are well protected what's really cool about all this is is all this information is actually supported by an absolute mountain of evidence in a body of work called the european code on cancer 
this is made by the the cancer research branch and the world health organization so it's it's incredible and if you actually just want to go in there's like it's really easy to read and they give like guides on exactly what you need to do to prevent yourself from being in these risk factor groups for that those 40 percent of cancers which is amazing so like go and get that information into you and uh, and get informed about it because because that that really is is what we need right now is we need people to just get this information that we know so much about these 40 percent but you know this is something that i don't have an answer for but the big elephant in the room is the other 50 percent of all cancers that we really don't actually know yet what is causing them you know this is this is the future the future is trying to figure out what are these other cancers caused by is there things that we can do to prevent them or or are they are there more genetic people are there more cancers in that category that are just due to genetics or is it just because of this as we said with time we age and our cells get worse and worse at uh, at yeah. dividing and bringing that genetic code book onto the next generation mm-hmm. of cells and they just they just make mistakes as you get older and older for sure it's it's really really interesting you know it, it it's a really really interesting topic it, it is important for people to be informed and the lovely listener very good looking today may i say is certainly <laughs> very informed uh, about this now after having listened to us it's a lot but it, there's a lot of good in there like there's a lot of positive and the way these things work i i'd say the cancer treatment in a decade will be vastly different to how it was today or to especially 10 years ago to think that you said about the the radiation therapy that that yeah. was like they made x-rays and then they made <laughs> and then they made radiation therapy like three months later that's incredible. literally yeah, three years later it completely crazy like uh but that that's that's it physicians want to do these things they don't want but they want it to be safe and surely it will be and there's like we have gone through so many different treatments for cancer today like we we haven't even been able to mention them all like not we're not even close like there's the like pimp my ride giving your cancer cancer treatment where essentially they put a cancer on your cancer which is way more aggressive and sucks all of the nutrients out of the original cancer and then take they just treat the one that they put in and that's, that's crazy a, that's a that's called a, it's like a, dig, a digi a digimon evolution you know it's like a <laughs> cancer evolved into <laughs> yeah like i know so there's and like it, yeah it's crazy so there's so there's so many different perspectives here people are coming at cancer from every which way to try and figure this out but yeah i really think that we're never gonna get rid of it completely no and but that it will become a thing hopefully in the future that we can just live with you know you 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 might be 80 or or 90 and you will have cancer but it's not going to be the thing that kills you it's actually not even going to really affect your quality of life too much. And so so that's that's where we want to be. Yeah. It's good. I think it's great. I think not cancer, the treatment and the development and all of these things obviously, but I have I, a, I, I have a lot of hope too. Anyways, on that note, have a lovely week. We hope you uh got some 
more positive vibes than you expected off of this podcast episode. <laughs> <laughs> Take care, everyone. Well, oh, I don't even know. I was just doing like spread the good stuff there. <laughs> I know. <yeah. laughs> no, that's over. And hopefully at this point, so is the pandemic. All right. <laughs> <laughs> love it. Love it. This is the end of the podcast. We hope you enjoyed your time. If you're feeling generous and you're not completely skinned, why don't you give us some of your money? Join our Patreon. Join our Patreon. Join our Patreon. Join our Patreon. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.